Euphoria star Angus Cloud's autopsy reveals his cause of death as he joins other Hollywood stars like Philip Seymour Hoffman, Heath Ledger, and a number of others who have lost their lives while living it in the fast lane. As we look at the tragic reality of this very deception in the end times that causes the entire world to be deceived. Stay with us as we look at these and other stories on the 511 News. Welcome back to the 511 News. I'm your host, Chad Davidson of Good Fight Ministries. And on today's episode, we're going to be looking at the tragic end of Euphoria star Angus Cloud. But before we do, we want to also ask if you feel so led to like this video and subscribe to the Good Fight Ministries YouTube channel, as well as leave a five-star review if you are listening via podcast. Uh, That just helps us to get up there on the algorithm so that we can get these warnings out and share the gospel with those who need it. But as we are discussing this, it is a sad reality that so many of those, whether in Hollywood or just simply walking down the streets, have turned themselves over to a number of different drugs. And the autopsy results of Angus Cloud have proven that he died of an accidental overdose of a combination of depressant drugs and fentanyl. And he was also found with methamphetamines in his system. And, you know, Euphoria is a show that is supposed to be about a mostly high school kids, some dating college kids and some dads sleeping with transsexuals. But uh, it is a show that is very dark. Even when you look at it, it's just a very dark and depressing show and the sad reality is that for so many uh these of these actors whether it's this whether it is Heath Ledger uh you know taking on the role of the Joker in um in the Dark Knight whether it is a number of these different actors that take these roles and they maybe take them too far and the fiction or the storyline or the movie ends up becoming their reality And in fact, in 2019, Angus gained overnight stardom with his betrayal of Fesco, the lovable, low-key drug dealer with a heart of gold in HBO's Euphoria. Casting director Eleanor Hendricks discovered him on the street in Manhattan, plucking him out of his job at a chicken and waffle restaurant where he served for about a year. Quote, I remember my son calling me once and he's like, well, I got a day off, but I'm so tired because I've been on my feet for the last 16 hours serving. Lisa recalls, he had no life plan, but I knew something special was in store for him. Based on the Israeli series, Euphoria is largely inspired by creator Sam Levinson's struggles as a teenage drug addict. He entered rehab at 19 to get off opioids and methamphetamines. Speaking publicly for the first time about Angus's death, Levinson, 38, grows emotional at a restaurant in Beverly Hills as he reflects on the star's trajectory. Quote, Angus was supposed to die at the end of the first season, but I loved him so blinking much. The first thing I noticed about him was he had those Paul Newman eyes and his audition tape where he said that his name was Angus Cloud and he's five foot 12. It killed me. He was perfect. I think part of the problem is I would sometimes put actors ahead of the show sometimes. So I was like, okay, I can't kill him because then what is he to look forward to? Sadly enough, while he wasn't killed off on the show just yet, he 
ended up losing his life to a battle with these drugs. And it is a heartbreaking thing whenever you see this, when you see young people fall down this pit. Um, And I just have to say this. um, I watched my friends when I came to Christ. A number of my friends uh, died via overdose. I went to funeral after funeral. And it was actually really, really difficult for me. In fact, I went to a drug house somebody was dealing drugs out of to pick my friend up out of it after I got saved. Uh, went through the wearing of the ponchos and the throwing up and, and everything and uh, to only see him revert back to it and has continued that battle. And I praise God he's still alive to this day. And it is something that you see sometimes a losing battle over and over again once Satan really gets a grip on you in that. And I think that a lot of people for a long time had a different view of who was using these types of drugs. And, you know, we've talked about uh, a number of different types of drugs. Heroin here, specifically in Simi Valley, even Dr. Phil ended up having to do an episode regarding, uh, you know, the heroin usage in suburbia here where we're from. And a lot of people have the wrong idea of what it looks like. We think of most heroin addicts as people on the streets, you know, looking for a needle, but that that's not the case anymore. And now it's just, just become so popularized to have opioids just sitting there in every drug cabinet in every house. And it a lot of times is the parents uh, that, you know, maybe an ankle injury or something, um, soccer moms, and then you have antidepressants like Xanax that are basically just making people zombies. It really is putting a Band-Aid on these disgustingly horrible bullet wounds and it's just suppressing certain areas of the brain. And it is a sad thing. It really is. It's something that really hurts my heart. And like I said, uh, we even had a group out here that was called Not One More. And it was started from a, a couple of different people. One of them, uh, a guy named Pat Montoya, who just recently passed away. And another one uh, that helped start it was a woman named Susan. And I, I'm just telling you guys this as honestly, because it's something that I think about a lot. I've dealt with watching my friends uh, lose their life uh, to the, the, especially people I partied with. But, you know, somebody that I had, I came clean to uh, my friend Austin's mom after uh, I got saved because I had um, taken a urine test for him to try to cover up his drug usage before I knew Christ. And his mom said he, she knew, uh, I guess when P ends up being cold, uh, people usually know that. But I, I say that because I went to my friend Austin's funeral. And it was very difficult seeing that. I was given a phone call when he went to Bakersfield to join a rehabilitation center. And his mom, being a nurse, warned him, please do not use the amount that you normally use if you fall back into drugs because you will cook yourself. And that is precisely what happened in a hotel lonely in Bakersfield. And so when I see these stories and I think of, you know, the Hollywood actors this may be happening to or whatever, the, these decisions that they made that lead them down this 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 lane, a lot of people just have a really wrong idea of who this happens to. And I think that has probably been changed a lot from uh, maybe social media expressing this. You know, when one of the stars of the hit show, uh, Glee, Corey Monteith, had passed away a lot of people were, were a little confused. You know, this guy has money and fame and you look at him and, you know, good looking kid. And you're like, you have the whole world in front of you. Why would you die to heroin overdose? And people don't realize 
And these are the statistics that I had pulled for an article I'd written a number of years ago when he passed away because the Los Angeles Times reported this, a fatal drug overdoses have increased for the 11th consecutive year in the United States. New data has shown. According to a research letter from the National Center of Health Statistics, 38,329 people died of drug overdoses in the United States in 2010, an uptick from the previous year and the latest sign of a deadly trend. And now with fentanyl being as popularized, that has only been exacerbated uh, over, over time. But it is those who are using these drugs, I think, that is surprising to people. In fact, Dr. Richard Clark, who is an emergency room physician and director of toxicology at the University of California, San Diego Medical Center, told NBC News, quote, the stereotypical user on the street, that's the past as far as heroin use in the United States is concerned. Lots of people are using it these days. Kids, teenagers, white collared workers. Caleb Banta Green, a research scientist at the University of Washington School of Public Health, said concerning Corey Monteith, quote, that he is what a heroin user now looks like. And when we think about this, when we think about uh, drugs, whether heroin or fentanyl or, or whatever, um, what we have to look at is the spiritual reality behind this. And so many people don't realize uh, so often in the New Testament, I believe it's 15 times, that we're called to be sober. We are called to be sober-minded. We we are not called to be uh, drunk, and we're not called to be on drugs and have our minds be warped in this fashion. And the reason for that is given in 1 Peter 5.8. It says, Be sober and vigilant, because your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. In Proverbs chapter 23, uh, verses 31 through 35, it's very interesting because we see that it's a warning against drunkenness. And it says, don't look at wine uh, or gaze at it when it's red in the cup, when it sparkles in the glass, for it bites like a nachash. And when you look at that and see that, it's the same word used uh, in Genesis to describe Satan, uh, that same serpent, that how it bites us. And that's exactly what takes place. It says that they wake up with bruises and don't know where they came from, but let's just go and have another drink. And whether it's that or pharmakeia, uh, the, the cutting of drugs, the, the pushing of drugs, this is a spiritual reality. I think people don't understand how much of a grip it has on this world. And in fact, in Revelation chapter 18, and I, and I want to speak to this because this is the important thing that I want to talk about, because in Revelation chapter 18, verses verse 23 specifically, but the context is Babylon falling. One of the things that it mentions is the fact that there were merchants who also fall, and those merchants, they actually deceived the entire world with their pharmakeia. And I do believe that in the end times, there is going to be a deception, and there is a deception when it comes to the end times regarding both drugs and even drunkenness. I think both of these aspects when we see in the New Testament specifically, not only Jesus's um, Olivet Discourse, but we also see in what Paul talks about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 regarding the epochs that we should know of, and regarding also that end times deception of the whole world being deceived by the merchants and their pharmacia and their drugs, we have to recognize and see that this is exactly what Satan wants. And in fact, he's been using this for a long time. It's not just the modern day 
Aubrey Marcus or the modern day Joe Rogan that are pushing these drugs, illicit drugs. You're talking about, you know, mind altering ayahuasca trips and mushrooms and and all of these different drugs that they're pushing that that I believe do open people up to the spiritual realm. And they are the children of disobedience that Satan is using over and over again, using the children of disobedience as the prince of the power of the air will do in order to get people's eyes off Christ. And I believe in order to bring about exactly what we're seeing. And in fact, we talk a lot about Satanist Aleister Crowley on here because of the effect he has had on the culture. And I think one of the aspects that is not talked about enough is probably how much of a drug pusher he truly was. Because when you look at Aleister Crowley and some of the things, the father of modern day Satanism, ultimately that's what he is. And people can make claims about Aleister Crowley and say this or that about him. And he may have used humor in in some ways, I believe, to hide certain aspects. But the truth is, in his autobiography, he made it very clear that he believed the doctrine of the Plymouth Brethren. He believed, actually, what they taught concerning God. He said, I simply went over to Satan's side, and to this hour, I cannot tell why. He said he wanted to be Satan's chief of staff. It wasn't just something that was like, oh, this is some good idea, and maybe I can model this, and I can just be rebellious, and people will like it. But the truth is, is that he ultimately knew what team he was on. He knew he was part, not of the sheep, but of the goats. And when you look at it too, when he writes Diary of a Drug Fiend, when he writes about the usage usage of certain drugs, some of the things that he says are very interesting. In fact, when he called himself, you know, the Master Therion, which comes from the beast in the book of Revelation, it's kind of interesting when you put that together uh, with some of the deception that goes on in the end times. He wrote a number of books or poems as well, Regarding drugs, he wrote The Psychology of Hashish, he wrote Absinthe, The Green Goddess, he wrote Ethyl Oxide, he wrote Cocaine, he wrote The Great Drug Delusion, he wrote The Drug Panic, and of course, Diary of a Drug Fiend. And one of the poems that he wrote was called Leah Sublime. And it says, Leah Sublime, goddess above me, snake of the slime, love me, our master the devil prospers the revel. And then later in that poem, and you can only read so many words, it's just so disgusting, but he writes, stab your demoniac smile to my brain, soak me in cognac, blank, and cocaine. And then when he first published The Psychology Hashish in the Equinox, volume one, number two, back in 1909, he said this about smoking weed, pretty much. He said, with a sufficiently large dose, it is possible to get effect only as a transient phenomenon. The images of thought pass more rapidly through the brain, at last, vertiginously fast. They are no longer recognized as thoughts, but imagined as exterior. The will and the ego become alarmed and may be attacked and overwhelmed. This constitutes the main horror of the drug. It is to be combated by a highly, may I say, magically trained will. I trust my readers will concede that the practice of ceremonial magic and meditation, all the court theories apart, do lead the mind to immense power over its own imaginations. The fear of being swept away in the tide of relentless images is a terrible experience. Woe to who yields. You see, 
Lester Crowley did believe in using drugs, whether it's weed, cognac, cocaine, whatever it is, to open himself up to the spiritual realm. And when we do see this idea over and over again in the scriptures about not being sober-minded and when not being sober-minded, that you really do open yourselves up to this. When you are not of sober spirit, it is very, very dangerous for us when we completely take the armor off and are not recognizing the spiritual battle that we are in. And as mentioned earlier, it's it's 15 different times at least, uh, by my count, where we are called to be sober. And one of the big things to me is not just simply what is the world doing, because obviously the world is deceived, all the whole world is deceived by the merchants and their pharmacia, but drunkenness has some been something that is not talked about enough in the church, if I'm being honest, is not warned against enough in the church. Now, I, I want to give you, obviously, and express to you guys when I have convictions versus something that I'm like, hey, this is what the scriptures say. Uh, my own personal conviction is that I don't drink personally. I'm a personal teetotaler without preaching that to someone else, because I do see, obviously, places in the scripture where it's not complete prohibition against drinking, but there is a complete, no way around it, prohibition against getting drunk. And I, you're going to have to be the judge of that, and hopefully your conscience isn't bearing witness against you and you're suppressing it by drinking more, because I would hate to see that the world can say buzz driving is drunk driving, but so many people are sitting here saying, oh, I'm just getting a little buzzed and everything's fine and let the world have greater standards than we do as believers. But I, I want to say that because I personally do not, and that is because of the nature of so much of the ministry that we do, specifically with young people that may get confused by certain things. So I just personally do not partake whatsoever, not to mention that as a non-believer, I had sinned against God in a number of ways uh, concerning alcohol, and he saved that and took that desire from me, and so I don't want to go back to that, and that's the only way I can think of it in that regard. I can't push that on every single person, but I know that I never have to worry about if I had too much to drink because I don't have any. That's my own personal conviction, but I do want to get warnings against drunkenness, and sadly enough, and specifically about not stumbling our brothers and the fact that there are many people who do get stumbled specifically in this sin, and when people like Carl Lentz were seen taking shots with Justin Bieber in public. You wonder what is he doing in private, and then it gets found out that he's cheating on his wife in private as well. And 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 these are the things that happen. Perry Noble, I do believe, bad teaching leads to bad living. Bad doctrine uh, leads to bad practice, and so forth. Orthopraxy, orthodoxy. Uh, when both of those things are 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 not in line, a lot of times people fall. So guys like Perry Noble who was caught falling into uh, the sin of drunkenness and I believe pornography as well and his posture towards marriage, uh, losing his church. Um, My concern typically, while the world can go this way, is what is happening in the church and why this isn't being warned against over and over again because what I see over and over again in the scripture is a warning and I want to read a couple of these scriptures because it does seem specifically when it comes to believers that drunkenness is something that is clearly warned about in relation to the end times. In Matthew chapter 24, starting in verse 42, it says, Therefore be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, 
you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming in an hour when you do not think he will. Who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master has put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master finds doing so when he comes. Truly I say to you, they will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that evil slave says in his heart, my master is not coming for a long time and begins to beat his fellow slaves and eat and drink with the drunkards, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him and in an hour which he does not know and will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Paul, I believe, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, I believe that he does have in mind what Jesus has already spoken about in Matthew chapter 24 when he says, starting at verse 1 of chapter 5, Now as to the times and the epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child and they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that that day would overtake you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Remember that in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, a lot of people like to quote 1 Corinthians chapter 6 to remind people that homosexuals not inherit the kingdom of God, which is a fact. But that's not the only thing listed here. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Well, who are the unrighteous? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And in fact, right before this, in chapter 5, when when Paul describes to us that we are not to simply have People in our church, in our congregation, sitting there acting like their brethren, and then when they're performing all these indecent acts, just allowing it to happen and acting like everything's fine. And he says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, starting at verse 11, but actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is an immoral person, or covetous, or an idolater, or reviler, or a drunkard, or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Do you not judge those who are within the church, but those who are outside God judges? Remove the wicked man from amongst yourselves. Now, this is a verse that plenty of people that aren't looking at the scripture in its entirety get this misunderstood. And they say, oh, well, why are you exposing wickedness? Like it says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11, you're not supposed to judge those outside of the church. This is a judicial rendering to the church, specifically, especially if you understand the context, with someone being immoral, someone sleeping with their own father's wife. And when it comes to judgment, which is kicking someone out the church, which is doing Matthew 18 and turning them over and saying, you are not part of our fellowship in hopes that they would come back, which actually does happen in 2 Corinthians. And now the device from Satan that the church in Corinth is falling for 
is the fact that they aren't loving the one who is now repentant of that repented of that sin rather than when they were patting him on the back calling him a believer but what happens here for us is to recognize that there are people that are falling into drunkenness and no one's calling them out and just patting on their back like this is okay this is not supposed to be what the church is about and recognize not only in first Thessalonians chapter five, when he says those who get drunk at drunk at night, that's not us. We are not those children of the night. We are children of the day. We have left the dominion of darkness. We're now in the dominion of Jesus. When we look at Matthew chapter 24, starting at verse 42, which we read earlier, you see the deception. Well, I'm just, you know, he's delaying his coming. I'm going to go get drunk and get drunk with the drunkards. Guys, this is not right. This is a deception, not only to the world being deceived by drugs, but also so many in the church being deceived by drunkenness. I could go down the lifts of so many pastors who have fallen victim to this, that have been given over and been lovers of of drink, a strong drink and so forth. And it is a heartbreaking thing to continue to go down. But instead of that, let's turn away from that. Let's though those in the world, let's warn them. And those who are being led to the slaughter, following the woman of folly, those who are going down the the usage of, of drugs and so forth that are leading them astray. I'm sorry, Narcon may save the heart. And you might be able to stop somebody from ODing now so less people die in that regard. But ultimately, you need their soul to be saved. And the only way to do that is to get people to turn from those things, turn away from the wickedness of the world, and look to the Son of Man who was lifted up to draw all men to himself. Look to the one who died for you. He said, to tell us die, paid in full. Your sins have been bought and paid for, whether it's drugs or drunkenness or anything else, your sins have been bought and paid for. When you turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and put your faith in him, then when God sees you on the day of judgment, he will not see you for the sins you have committed, but he will see his son, Jesus Christ, who died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures and rose again on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And now when we put on the Lord Jesus Christ, he doesn't see us, he sees Jesus. And we get to enter into the joy of the Lord when we come before him. I I just want to beg you right now, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, turn to him now, put your trust in him. And one day you will hear those beautiful words. You will not hear, depart from me, I never knew you. But what you will hear is, well done, good and faithful servant. This has been Chad Davidson, and this is the 511 News. The 511 News with Chad Davidson has been brought to you by Good Fight Ministries, bringing you news and commentary from a Christian perspective. This show can be heard every Friday wherever podcast shows are available or visit 511news.org. Thank you for joining us and we look forward to being with you next week on the 511 News.